0: His Love Christian Fellowship is excited to share this podcast with you. We hope you enjoy this message. Your love hmm. One day, we won't ever have to stop. That will be awesome. Hmm. Hmm. Lord, I just thank you for Whatever's gonna come out of my mouth tonight <laughs> Lord, I just thank you for um Lord that you're here and you are um Lord, you're just so sweet and Lord, it doesn't really matter what comes out of my mouth, Lord I know that you're gonna meet with every single person here and Lord, you're gonna minister to them and Lord, they might even get ministered out of something I didn't even say Lord we just thank you for that it's your presence thank you Lord um tonight. I have just a, I don't know what I have to share, so I'm not even going to give it a title. Something maybe about mercy and forgiveness, I think, is what I was going for. But um, I was reading this um, story just the other day, and I thought that it would be a good way to start off. It's uh, Luke 15, verse um, 1 through uh, 7. And it's the story, you guys have probably heard, of the parable of the lost sheep. Many dishonest tax collectors and other notorious sinners uh, often gathered around to listen to Jesus as he taught the people. This raised concerns. (laughs) This is concerning (laughs) with the Jewish religious uh, leaders, believers, (laughs) leaders and experts of the law. Indignant. That's pretty mad. Indignant. They grumbled and complained. Look at how this man associates with all those noto- notorious sinners and welcomes them all to come to him. <laughs> um, I just, Before we go any further, I had some stuff I wanted to say. I love how Jesus was not afraid of hanging out with sinners. And guess what? Jesus has not changed. He is not afraid to hang out with sinners. I wonder how many of us, this is just a thought I had while reading this, I wonder how many of us would feel completely comfortable with the parties Jesus hung out at. It isn't that there was something bad going on at the parties. I don't think that Jesus would partake in any acts of sin going on there. But it was who was there, the sinners. It was who was at the party. You heard a party of, um, if you heard something going on, and you heard all these people that you know are not reputable are going to this party, you would kind of think, hmm, I wonder what goes on in there. Jesus was right in the middle of what was going on in there. (laughs) I think that's awesome. I think every Christian, I'm speaking this to myself too, should make it their goal to throw a party with the people that make them feel uncomfortable until we as a church run out of people who make us feel uncomfortable. The world knows how to exclude. Just look, (laughs) look around you. There's all kinds of exclusion. Religion knows how to exclude, but it is Jesus who changed things and included everyone. I wonder how many people would come to know Jesus just because one of us invited them over for a meal with no agenda except to love them. We're famous, uh, the world sees us as famous for judging people, uh declaring what is sin and what isn't sin uh for our opinions our our uh write-ups after something happens that's what the church has become known for but what if that all suddenly changed and the world knew the church as someone as people who just had somebody over for supper just to love on them what if we became known for how much we loved people and we invited over People we were offended with. People that we didn't agree with. What if we became known for instead of saying something after actually doing something after? Anyway, those are just some thoughts. I think the Lord's doing that in us. Okay. In response, Jesus gave them this illustration. So this is in response to their, what in the world is he doing with these sinners? Sorry, Anna and Joseph, if I lean more this way. There's... You guys are important, too. <laughs> All right. And Liberty. Sorry, Liberty. She's like, well, what about me? <laughs> okay. this is So this is his response. There once was a shepherd with a hundred lambs, but one of his lambs wandered away and was lost. So the shepherd left the 99 lambs out in the open field and searched in the wilderness... <laughs> Sorry, I wonder why this, this lamb, you, you know, when you go wandering away from the Lord, you don't wander into the green, nice places. It's not like, oh, man, I'm here by the water and loving it. The ocean was just around the corner. <laughs> Instead, he wanders and he ends up in the wilderness. So Jesus, well, you don't know it's Jesus yet. The shepherd goes and looks for this one lost lamb. He didn't stop until he finally found it. He did not stop until he finally found it. Do you think that Jesus has changed in his, um, his response, his agenda for all the unbelievers? Do you think he's different now that he has a few? <laughs> now that I've got a few Christians on the earth, I don't have to be like I was back then. No, his agenda is still this. He did not stop until he finally found it so the people were praying for he's already been working on him forever and he's still going to keep working on him even if we forget about him he does not stop with exuberant joy he he's find it he's found it with exuberant joy he raises raised it up placed it on his shoulders and then carrying carrying it back with cheerful delight returning home he called all of his friends and neighbors together and he said let's have a party Come and celebrate with me the return of my lost lamb. It wandered away, but I found it and brought it home. Jesus continued, In the same way, there will be a glorious celebration in heaven over the rescue of one lost sinner who repents, comes back home, and returns to the fold, more so than all the righteous people who never strayed away. Now, I don't know where I'm going to go, so just I'm just going to read what I wrote, and we'll see. Okay, religion is usually okay, and this is what I was seeing in that story. Religion, or the religious people, or, um, is usually okay with evangelizing the masses who haven't heard the gospel. That's normally seen as, that's a good deed, you know, to evangelize the masses who have never heard the Lord. But for all the prodigals, wanderers, backsliders, and traitors, religion has no mercy. Because if those people do come back to the fold of grace, (coughs) religion will make sure that they live with shame and a never-ending self-righteous program (coughs) of how to not do what they did. You are now entering the program of how not to backslide, you backslider. (laughs) Uh, but forgiveness and mercy does not require anything from you notice that the shepherd left the 99 in search of the one sometimes i wonder if we don't feel god at times because he is calling us to encounter him while loving the unlovable maybe he's throwing a party in the wilderness for that one he just found and we're like what is going on where is god i can't find him Maybe he's, he's in the face of somebody that offends you. What party <clears throat> and joy are we missing out on because we see the mess, the expensive searching, the wasted time, the sin. We see the sin. <laughs> the hurt of betrayal and the hurt of being left for someone or something else instead of seeing the person, the sheep. See, the core reason we have an issue, and this was just me thinking about this, and it's backed up by Scripture, hopefully. No. See, the core reason we have an issue with people, and they make us feel uncomfortable, let's just think about that for a second. Why do some people make us feel uncomfortable? Why is there some people who might be living in sin, who might have hurt us at one time, who have a completely different opinion of something, and it really offends us. Why does it make us feel uncomfortable to be around them? Why does it make us feel uncomfortable to invite them and actually do something good for them? I was thinking about this. And I think that the root of the problem is that we're looking through the lens of religion, and religion says this, you are what you do. We cannot separate the person from what they've done or what they're doing or what opinion they have. We can't separate the fact that that person messed up one time. We see the mess up and the person as one. Um, When you view people through that lens, you see people as the sum of their actions. This makes it easy to label people. That person's a traitor. That person's a, a vagabond nobody uses that word anymore (laughs) but the bible does sometimes (laughs) Uh, (coughs) wearing these glasses because you can label people it's really easy because you're just labeling them by what they've done it's really easy this is so easy and and not just in the church it's so easy out in the world it's a it's part of the political thing oh you're a conservative you're a republican you're a democrat you're a liberal you're just labels just labels you can't see the person you see the label that's what happens when you look through the eyes of of religion it's more than just religion i think it's also political spirit or whatever but Someone (laughs) wearing these glasses, if someone sins, you have the hardest time separating that person from their sin. Instead, you've put the two together. But the truth is simple. This is the truth that breaks those glasses. See, you have these glasses on, and you're not seeing the truth. The truth is, you are not what you do. You are who God says you are. That's, That's it. You are his beloved child. You are a lost sheep. You are somebody he loves. You are who he says you are. That's the only thing that defines, you know, when Jesus, or when Jesus, when God, which Jesus was included in that, was making the earth, uh, he didn't say, uh, well, he didn't say, he, okay, let me stop and start over. When God was creating the earth, he spoke the word and it became whatever he spoke. Let there be light and there was light let there be uh animals and there were see whatever he says that's what you are that's the true identity and so when you see people all messed up doing these things that's like what are you doing it's not what they did that's defining them that's not who they are it's what he said they are he said i created man in my image i want them that's mine I died for that one God so loves the world that he gave his life for that one that's what he says and when we look through the other uh, lens of seeing all the mess they've made we can't see it we can't see who they are what he says about them I know um, this is a deep revelation a fish is a fish no matter if he acts like a bird it's true a fish is a fish no matter if he acts like a bird or some other creature it's never gonna change that that thing's a fish you are a child of God you have been redeemed and you might act up sometimes that doesn't change who you are and people are people they are the ones God created and died for and that doesn't change no matter what they do okay so um. okay, so this is, I was trying to relate this because this is something that I think sometimes we have such a hard time getting past. What does this look like in the practical for our own lives or for our own community? Let's say someone is dealing with sin, and I'm not just going to say someone. Let's say I was dealing with sin. It's not something, uh, if, if, It's not something I want. Okay, gotcha. It's not something I want, the sin that I'm dealing with. So I confess it with my brothers and my sisters and I repent. But I still feel tempted sometimes to fall into that sin. I repeat the process of confessing and repenting. But uh, does this mean I'm a sinner if I fall into sin again? Am I a bad person? Does that make me a bad person if I dealt with this sin? Am I now less righteous? Have I somehow fallen from God's righteous scale? (laughs) Repeat offender. The answer to all of these is a loud no. And if they feel like they're sometimes a yes, then ask the Lord to reveal what is the truth. I am not, nor are you, the sum of our actions. When we go through the process of forgiveness, which happened at the cross, happened before you even committed the sin, the forgiveness was already there. Not that we don't still ask the Lord for forgiveness, but it already took place. We become completely restored. You are not your sin. You are not even what you're tempted by. You're not any of that. You are who He says you are. And when He died for you on the cross, He said you are forgiven. You're a new creation. Okay. Um, you may deal with resisting temptations and even fall sometimes, but uh, and have to ask forgiveness. But it does not change who you are. You are not a sinner. You are not. You are a brand new creation. (laughs) And I feel like this is so important. And I know the Lord's been working on this, um, revealing this to us in this past season. But it's so important because we're never going to see the world differently if we don't see ourselves differently. If you still see yourself as the sum of all your actions and mistakes, then you will not see the world as separate from what they've done you will not see the love you need to see in somebody if you can't love yourself if you haven't forgiven yourself the focus if you're dealing with sin and you can't and it feels like you can't get free of this you know you're you've done everything you know to do you have fasted you've prayed you've you've created self-righteous rules stuff and it's still not working you're you're finding ways to still sin what should you do Here's the thing that is amazing. You don't need to focus on that. You don't even need to focus on the fact that you're dealing with that stuff. You keep it exposed. You keep it open. You always have to keep it open. But you focus on the fact of who you really are. Because whatever you're focusing on, that's where you're going to go. If you completely always are focusing on, oh, I deal with pride, oh, I deal with this, I deal with sexual temptations, I deal with this and this, then you're just going to keep focusing on them. It's like when you're driving down the road and you see something and you're like, oh, that's what happens. But when you focus on the fact that you have already been crucified and you are a new creation and you're completely pure and you're holy and you have all of these amazing attributes inside of you, the Holy Spirit's inside of you that produces love and joy and peace and self-control, it has self-control in there. When you focus on that and stop paying attention to what you are doing and pay attention to who you really are, the truth that thing's going to leave. It's not. You're going to be like, oh my gosh, I don't deal with that anymore. What happened? It's because it's not who you are. It's a lie. It's what the enemy wants to throw at you. Say, you're still a sinner. You are still a bird. (laughs) No, I'm a fish. (laughs) And that is why we put fish on our cars, kids. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, Actually, I have no idea. I think it's uh, some sort of symbol from the... Anyways... Okay, so this is something, this is something else I thought was cool. Um, so, let's, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the, the religious people that hated Jesus. They had generations of hating what God was doing. It was a continual thing that that had happened throughout the prophets, throughout even Moses. I mean, it was a, a generational work (laughs) not the kind you want do you realize like these people weren't just having they weren't just fighting their own spiritual battle they were fighting this stronghold that had been built for generations of unbelief and resistance to what God was doing but do you realize that if just one of them just one of them had humbled themselves and repented that stronghold that had been built up for years and years and years would have no power you might think that you're the sum of your past generations and you have these major evil things that happened in your past one repentance one act of god i forgive that sin it's forgiven in my past generations set me free and my future generations boom that huge strong man defeated completely defeated we are wa- uh we are walked We are called to walk in forgiveness of ourselves and others. And that is what the religious spirit hates the most. Every second on the cross was an act of Jesus' will. For at any moment, he could have stopped it. But then he saw me. Just want you guys to say that. (coughs) Let's see. Repeat after me. After I find it again. At any moment... He could have stopped it, it. but then he saw me. Okay, now you don't have to repeat because I'm going to keep going. I was the joy set before him. Every drop of blood, every shooting pain, every dislocated joint, every piercing thorn had my name on it. He endured it so that I could be free and forgiven. That's why it's so important that we know how to forgive ourselves and how to forgive others because he paid for it. When he saw you on the cross, it wasn't so he could see a self-righteous person in 2,000 years. It wasn't so that he could see somebody that didn't know they were completely forgiven, thought they were the sum of their past mistakes. He paid for it because of the joy of knowing you would be 100% free. Free. So don't let the enemy set. let you settle for anything short of 100% freedom. 100%. Okay. Good. I'm doing good. All right. So this is something... Else, I used to read the statement that Jesus said um, when he was telling a parable about. Um, or actually, he wasn't telling a parable. He was telling. Um, well, he might have been. Anyways, he was telling about two people. One was forgiven a small debt. One was forgiven a large, large debt. And he asked the man, "Who do you think would forgive the the, the mo- or who do you think would love um, God the most? The one that was forgiven much, or the one that was forgiven little?" And he said, "Well, the man that was forgiven much." And this statement always made me feel like I need to have a really bad past in order to understand what kind of love the Lord has for me. But obviously, I've come to realize that it's not that. It's about your perspective. It's about your perception of what he did for you. Is it really big in your mind or is it really small? What he did for you, is it Jesus plus me? got me where I am today, or is it, oh, look what Jesus did for me. Look what he paid for me. And it doesn't matter. Do you think that, that God had to use less of the cross for you? Or do you think he had to use more of the cross for you? That's also the, the worm thing. No, he had to do it all for you, just like he had to do it all for the person next to you. It's, he paid the same price anyway so don't feel inferior okay now james two thirteen says and remember that judgment is merciless for the one who judges without mercy so by showing mercy you take dominion over judgment i think that's amazing um i love this verse because it's basically saying How do you want judgment to go for you? How do you want judgment day to go for you? How do you want judgment to happen to you? Do you want it to go well? Then it's really easy. Live your life showing mercy and forgiveness to yourself and to others. Okay. Showing mercy is like forgiveness in action. Faith is proven by the works you do. Faith without works is dead. Forgiveness is proven by how you show mercy. Showing mercy is more than words. It's giving a pardon and a gift to someone you have the right to receive justice from. I wonder how many times I've consoled myself when people hurt me by saying, God will make it right in the end, and then they'll be sorry. I think that everybody's probably thought those thoughts before, especially... For some reason, when you're a kid and you're not big enough to take care of whoever it was that hurt you, and you're just like, you'll be sorry because somebody's going to get you. Uh, that's all you've got. <laughs> so is it really mercy when forgiveness when you say that, or is it just the fact that you have no power to actually make it right? God will get you in the end, and you'll be sorry. But that is not mercy. Mercy says, you owe me a debt, but instead of paying me, how about we call it even, and I give you this gift of love, this gift, something for you. I don't just pardon you, that's forgiveness, that's awesome, pardoned. Mercy is, you're pardoned, and now here's something else. Here's a gift. So, what is the biggest debt I hold over people? And this is something for you guys just to think about maybe you don't deal with it so don't get real introspecty In- introspectively yeah yep <coughs> don't get down on yourself <laughs> uh, but just ask the holy spirit what is the biggest debt i hold over people and this is what it was for me i want them to say they're sorry <laughs> that's it i'm okay as long as they know they did it it was wrong and they're sorry (laughs) a little bit of tears and weeping at my feet is okay (laughs) let the holy spirit do do whatever he wants (laughs) no that's i realize this that is the debt i hold over somebody that offends me that hurts me that whatever i need the payment of i'm sorry to release complete forgiveness and mercy But no more. Lord, I let go, and everybody can say this. I let go of every form of debt and payment I've been requiring of people. I made that up on the fly. I didn't even write that down. (laughs) I could say anything, and they will repeat it. Sorry. (laughs) What I really wrote down was, Lord, I let go <laughs> of what I've kept. Uh, hmm. Yeah, that's why, I, <laughs> that's why I did on the fly. Okay, never mind. Okay. Did God wait for an I'm sorry when he came to the cross? Nope, he didn't. While we were still sinners, while we were still the people that rejected him, he died and gave us a gift, the gift of mercy. <clears throat> and from that place of giving mercy on the cross, he cried out before any of us even knew what he was doing, Father, forgive them. <laughs> so why am I sharing on this? Why, do, why have I felt like the Lord's been highlighting this to me? I believe um, the mercy and the forgiveness is an part of the infrastructure. It's kind of like the on- honor. It's part of the infrastructure God wants in place for the move of his spirit he's about to bring. It's the building that can house the prodigals and the lost sheep. And it's the water that puts out the fires of gossip, division, offense, bitterness, and hatred. So God, increase all of our forgiveness level. And, oop, two minutes over. Um, I guess I could pray for you guys. Okay, everybody can stand. Hmm. <laughs> all right. That's Jesus. No. <laughs> I think I've told this before, but Stephen Furtick was saying that he got down off the preaching one time. He was like 16 or something, and they were like, "Hey, that was a good message." He's like, oh, "It's all the Lord." And he's like, "No, it wasn't. It wasn't that good." <laughs> oh. Yep. <laughs> all right. Uh, Jesus, we just, uh, (laughs) Lord, we thank you that you are the ultimate forgiveness and mercy giver. (laughs) Lord, you have an abundant supply. And Lord, we just relinquish our control of um, any situations that we've been holding on to, hoping for repayment. And Lord, we receive the abundant supply of mercy and forgiveness in our hearts. Lord, we receive it for ourselves, and for all of the people we see in the world. Lord, we thank you that it's going to change us, and we're not going to say and be the same way. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Amen. Thank you for listening to this message.